0: Hey okay, folks, it's Tacky Talk Time once again. State Representative Tacky channa Quincy is joining us for our December 6th update. Hey, Tacky. Hey, happy December, everyone. Good to see you
1: again, Joe, and uh, the first uh, kind of sprinkly snowfall of the year.
0: Yes, I've heard it called uh, festive flakes, uh, conversational snow. Uh, to me, it's just a big pain in the nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first snow of the season. We're
1: actually not snow of the year, but first snow of the season. Uh, a yeah, little, exactly. little drizzle, little drizzle here and there, but nothing, nothing severe yet. And uh, we're expecting more warm weather again to play havoc with some of us, at, like uh, a steady temperature.
0: That, yeah, I mean, so far um, Governor Healy is getting a getting a pass on from the weather <laughs> world, at least. I Remember how Governor Baker was first. Uh initiated with the snow snowmageddon
1: oh yes and uh Deval patrick uh, did not call a state emergency the first time he did that and wonder how come it took two hours to get from from boston to milton uh executive branch folks doesn't matter what level of government you're in uh if you're newly elected executive branch the first snowfall is always the the shock and awe moment where some reason after living in new england your entire life you know or most of your life you can't figure out the first snowfall is awful because yeah, we all yeah. live in bad first snowfall. And I was shocked by newly electeds like, oh, you know, new elected uh, executive branch folks are like, uh, what just happened? I'm like, don't you live here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I recently met the new uh, director of uh... – MEMA, Mass Emergency Management Agency, and she used to work in Anchorage, Alaska. So I think we're in good hands.
1: <laughs> I think we have somebody who's ready for Snow McGill in part two. God forbid that happens. but Exactly. Uh, I could see that. I could see we're better prepared this time for winters. Yeah. Uh, yeah MEMA yeah. is an important agency. Uh, since we're on the subject, I mean, MEMA is such an important agency to us because, you know, people know what FEMA is, but people forget we have MEMA. And, uh, you know, they, they you know, they're basically not just necessary for like snow emergencies or tropical storms, but I mean, they're our emergency management coordinator. They do logistics. So, you know, like when we did the Boston bombing, you know, that whole tragedy, which is, um, wow, it's going to be like 15 years next year, I think, is it? No? Uh, 2013. So it was uh, just yeah, you- 10 years this year. Years this year. So yeah, you can tell the dates in my head are not working anymore. But yeah, Mima was part of a coordination effort regarding um you know the public safety components of that in terms of you know all the logistics of moving everybody around on top of the you know obviously law enforcement moving everybody around that that crazy week in April that year. So you know, Mima was actually a pretty important agency, and we saw that in COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they were not they were you know charge of you know moving logistics of supplies around and you know they're also in charge of logistics of morgues, um, so it's 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 a pretty important agency. People will see it as just kind of a storm agency.
0: It's really not. It it does a lot more than that. Yeah, no. As as uh, Don Brantley, the director, explained to me, they the two two functions uh, that they deal with on a daily basis. One is um, man-made uh, emergencies, um, a, a chemical spill, God forbid, or a plane crash, God forbid, and then natural disasters.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and a part of the larger, uh, yeah, health and public safety networks. Right, we live right. In, ever since nine eleven, been living, uh, you know, in potential chemical type related situations. I mean, anthrax is still not gone. I think people forget it is still a still a popular domestic or domestic now more like domestic terror than anything else. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, there's a chemical spill or a lab leak.
0: You know, they're in charge of dealing with that, right? So, uh Techie, since last we talked, uh <laughs> the, the uh supplemental budget has been approved. How did that happen? Well it depends. You want how much procedural weeds you want me to get into. And so, <laughs> I want to know how uh how the speaker got a hundred members <laughs> to to get to the state house on Monday. <laughs> well, uh yeah, okay, folks. Yeah.
1: We've heard you say over and over again how informal sessions are uh, any one person can object to the session. And I think we never really describe what the objection looks like. So when you're informal session, um, there's no formal session where you can take roll call votes. And uh, to hold a formal session requires the majority of members. Uh, informal session is basically the chair uh, rules uh, in many ways, not always. Uh, and the minority party is always present. It's kind of one of those. Uh, gentlemen understandings that the minority parties always present in informal sessions. And the way you end an informal session sessions, que- question the presence of a quorum. And uh, since informal sessions are very lately attended, uh, questioning a quorum isn't that difficult. So the Republican Party uh, asked for quorums on uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday. I was actually in the chamber on Thursday evening and um they went through the procedural um showing of them trying to demonstrate uh, the ability to try to leverage the chamber so they did some what not surprising and you know it just kind of makes statement kind of a procedure so for example you know minority leader put down an order petition a petition down on the joint rule i'm um, sorry house rule 44 to ask the House come back into formal session, but it's you need a petition of 81 members. There's not 81 Republicans, so that, that wasn't going to happen. But it was a nice show that went to the House Committee on Rules and it's never coming out because it's not uh, rules, uh, the petition's not in order of the rule. So, I mean, you don't have 81 people in a petition, and you can't call a formal session. You know, there was questions about whether I could have a roll call. You know, we can call each member's name up during informal session. The answer is no, the rules do not, not allow for roll call. So the only le- uh, recourse left was really um, to do a uh, quorum call. And uh, they did that on Thursday. And, of course, leadership had conversations with uh, the a minority party to try to figure out if they could work something out. Nothing happened. Then Friday, then Saturday. And then, uh, you know, it come to Monday. And uh at this stage, all the membership knows there's a problem. I mean, uh, as you all know, it's not just – uh, migrant shelter money, but there's also a whole lot of uh, prior appropriation continues for various agencies, as well as uh, the state collective uh, bargaining contracts for uh, state employees. But there's also county and judicial employees as part of that collective bargaining too. So it's like a hundred thousand employees in the state that's part of that collective bargaining funding. So uh, the entire legislature is acutely aware of the situation. So we all were keeping an eye on it, and uh, it became a buddy system situation. If you're available. Would you mind just coming in? And if you have a friend you could bring with you, it wouldn't <laughs> hurt. So there was no direct order saying you have to be there. That, that was, I think that's kind of incorrectly portrayed by the media. It was more of a if you're available situation. And, you know, people may not realize that the session schedule is how a lot of us plan our lives around the session schedule. The rules dictate our free time. So some members are probably on family vacation now. Um, in both branches, or they've already created other familiar obligations uh, maybe out of state. So, um, you know, it isn't like you can plan a vacation during the midst of a formal session period, because you don't know what the schedule is going to be. You can't go anywhere for long lengths. Um, So as a result, given the way the schedule is set up, people work around that, and our families have to work around uh, the legislative scheduling. Uh, And this time period is expectation. You can get some of these holiday and family things done, and you know, it became more of a soft ask of if you happen to be around, and you know, one of us calls someone, you call someone that was text chain or call chain, the you want to describe it, uh, and uh, you know, we, we you know we reached a majority of members with one hundred and five. We only uh, need eighty one to reach a quorum, and uh, the Democratic Caucus most definitely got to eighty one on their own. Um, so once you know, we on Monday we got to a quorum, and the uh, uh, Paul Frosty, minority whip, you know, asked for, well, I was a minority leader, we don't call them whips anymore, um, second leader, I think is what we call them, um, you know, asked for a quorum. You know, the quorum was achieved so the session could continue, informal session. And then, sure. then they did a voice vote for accepting the conference committee report. And of course, we all said yay, they said nay, and generally the loud voice wins, but they questioned the ear of the chair. So they, they dealt the vote. So the question whether the um, chair heard a louder volume from senator, and since we can't do a roll call vote we went to what's called a standing vote it's another aggregate vote where there's no name attached to your vote although the Boston Globe apparently took a lot of pictures as they try to figure out who was where uh <laughs> that's what I heard you know, yeah you're not supposed to you're not allowed to take pictures in the chamber but apparently not everyone listens so, so there' was some photo they had' taken some photographs from the gallery there's no way they could have done that in like on a on an eye spot moment in the globe to to figure out who was there and who wasn't um assuming of course they know who is who and there's so many of us sometimes so many new people uh so did a standing vote so you know people stood at their chairs at their desk uh if you vote yes you stand on the yes vote you know when that vote's done you sit down and people vote no they stand up and each floor leader in charge of each division counts the segment of the chamber. So there's four sections. One is 60 divided by four is 40. You have one person that's in charge of each of the sections in charge of counting the voting, you record those votes. So you know the, the you know we achieved the vote of I believe 101. I don't remember anymore. Um right now. Um as a result, um you know we able to pass it on at what we refer to as a standing vote. I'm trying to remember the number right now. Um, But yeah, that's how how we got there. Uh, And uh, that's it. So, yeah, 105 to 14 and a standing vote. So, um, you know, that means we achieved like 129 uh, for a quorum out of 161 people. You know, obviously, Democrats, again, you know, got the quorum to ensure that the session could continue. The Republicans have made their statement and their little parliamentary power play, I suppose you could call it that if you want. And uh, that was it. They were done uh, being an obstacle for the remainder of the day. The Senate got the same issue. Um, they actually did something procedural, a little bit different. Um, the minority party did not question a quorum, although the Senate can work remote folks. They can vote it in. Uh, we have to show in person in the House. Uh, so people from over the state came to to the chamber for, for a quick morning. Uh, in the Senate, they can actually do remote. They actually also achieved the quorum. You only need 21 out of uh, the 40 um, and uh, as opposed to uh, uh, the Senate minority party putting a petition into uh, a form of formal session to Senate, instead they, under the joint rules, the temporary joint rules, they've sent a petition under joint rules to open a formal session and, se- and, you know, supposed to send a petition for the House for a vote, which I've been informed by my staff, has never made it to the House Clerk's Office. So again, you know, weird parliamentary showmanship that quite frankly you don't care about to. the most of public doesn't care about this weird parliamentary
0: that's i agree with that that's true yeah yeah Um... most
1: people don't care about this weird parliamentary rules us nerds in the building that you know need to know the rules and understand what's going on and as a result the senate a minority party do not do things like lay things on the table which can push things automatically next calendar day uh, the uh, minority party, you know, did their own statements to create some appearance of objections. Um And the, um, like the House, the, the Senate passed uh, the bill also on the standing vote um, by 20 uh, to three. So, you know, 21 members need to be quorumed at 23 members show up. So, and that's pretty much sums it up. The rest of it was passing papers back and forth, uh, you know, by Ness consent of the branches. The governor signed it on Monday evening. And that's kind of procedurally with the parliamentary and gamesmanship um and you know inside baseball slash rude nerds like me um you know observed and you know you guys all know I've been watching this building a very long time in different capacities and this is the first time I've seen this happen. Um really? people have some, yeah people under some false impression that you know informal sessions you know prohibits members from coming. It does not. Um, it's just very rare you see a level that's the size of a quorum. Yeah, you know if you're around the building, you know at the close of uh, informal sessions, end of a session year uh, in the second half, so next year in 2024 in December, you see a lot of members milling around the building trying to get unanimous consent on um, their home rule petitions or you know things that have just made it to the last leg of the journey on some smaller bills that have a personal interest in. Um, that you know, that's good, but doesn't mean it, you know, has massive impact on every person. And um, you know, they're milling around and you can have up to, you know, 30, 40, 50 members rolling around the building at different times during Christmas and New Year in 2024, depending on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, members trying to find you know leadership and the clerk and count uh, legal counsel and all this stuff, and people running around trying to move their small bills out.
0: I know that um initially it was 2.8. Billion. I think the final number was 3.1 billion though is do you know what the what the final tally was
1: um the final tally is $3.1 according okay. to new service okay uh, and uh, you know there's some prior preparation continues there's some money that's been pushed around here and there um most of the stuff is well, actually all of its one-time funding right
0: and and you know a uh, small portion like uh 250 million for the for the shelter situation right? Yeah, again, it's a reconciliation. Okay.
1: Yeah. Budget's a reconciliation. It's looking at FY twenty three numbers and reconciling the numbers against the actuals. So in Gilbert's office, you know, didn't spend a half band half band dollars. So it's not on Maura Healy. It's you know Charlie Baker's folks too. And uh, you know, a lot of that's gonna be prior approach to continue or revert it back to the general fund, you know, just then help you know, re- reconciliation. And, you know, obviously the big chunk of change that's missing is capital gain. So then we had to readjust the stabilization funding budget. So the rainy day fund is is not as robust as we want to, but it's still, you know, in the $7 billion zone. So it's not like we're in we're deep, you know, rainy day trouble uh, when it rains again. Um, but it won't be as, you know, robust as we want it to be. Um,
0: I know but, that was a concern of yours like a year ago. You, you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, especially during the end of COVID, when we didn't know what we were going to do, and uh, you know they projected a revenue shortfalls of close to twenty percent, uh, reflecting the decline in labor market. Um, then obviously, y'all saw in twenty twenty one everything flipped on its head. Uh, suddenly, we went from like negative employment to overemployment. Uh, we had practically near employment statistically. Once you hit under three percent, it's it's statistically basically a uh, you know full employment and. Mm-hmm. We had more jobs and people available. Yep. Um, and once stimulus money ended and unemployment benefit extension ended and all that stuff, you know, the labor market really became saturated. And, uh, you know, employers and employees, employees had the advantage on wage negotiation. And, you know, revenues on the state level uh, bumped up by a combination of capital gains. And, of course, the more money uh, people make, and we are a flat tax state, the more money the state gets out of it. Right, right. Triggered that 62F issue. Um, yep. We all talk about uh, everyone got a little bit of a tax refund uh, before Baker left office. Um, but then again, that good times don't roll forever and wages will not always go up forever. And uh, it's now leveling out and uh, wage growth has moved well under 0.5% uh, per month uh, compared to last year. Um, and inflation is stabilizing. Um, even though it's still high because there's you know, cost passed along, um, but I mean, don't expect you know your wages to be so high that it's going to create uh, unexpected tax revenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What about the um, the millionaires tax though? So called millionaires tax is that included in in, uh, in the overall budget? Yeah,
1: it's it's not baked in the budget in the sense that it's like part of foundation because the unpredictability of it and the first time of doing it, you just don't know
0: yeah
1: so we you know we budget out you know a billion dollars between various transportation projects and school education related stuff you know in the hopes that you know the money's available Uh, but if it's not you know we didn't bake it into the bottom line it's very that was one of those peculiar ones that you know we did have gambling too actually
0: oh yeah
1: we also have cannabis we didn't bake the tax revenue into the bottom line we wanted to give it a couple of cycles to see how put it uh, not how it put out so you know it was kind of like a wishy list kind of way to looking at it is like wish we if we have it we wish we could do this kind of scenario
0: right 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 yeah you know <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> Santa Claus and see and see if he'll bring it to you for Christmas <laughs> yeah
1: uh, essentially yes I mean we didn't bake in the casino money at all uh, in right. the first cycle uh, it was like we just didn't know so one of the you know Myths out there is that, you know, you put something new out in the industry, you have this brand new revenue, and, you know, it's always available. Same thing with sports betting, right? It's doing very successfully. But, again, you know, it's subject to economic impact as well. And, you know, we just don't know enough about how the ebb and flow of that industry works yet. You know, it's not like you get a steady, same number of players every month that we right. get X number of dollars coming in that, you know, there's not enough time. So we we tend to be very cautious that. It's not like sales tax, right? We do have an idea of spikes in sales tax during, you know, Black Friday, Christmas, and we expect car excise tax to go up on car sales. You know, when we come into the spring, we can track the RMV license plates to figure out, you know, what the projections on on excise tax for local communities and, you know, past behavior on car sales. I said before, I say again, interest rates are high, you know, People have been, you know, people smarter than I am, you know, and economists and other people that do tax policy and watch these statistics, you know, can project out that there'll be a, you know, a negative impact on things like car sales, home sales, uh, refinancing, lines of credit, um, capital of uh, uh, big project development, uh, because mm. interest it rates will stay above four, I'm sorry, seven, um, eight, nine percent, depending on the scenario. Uh, for a while longer, and the Feds have made it very clear: the Fed Reserve Bank that um, higher for longer. Did it very care? Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very actually didn't just not carefully. just flat out said, "Don't expect a rate cut."
0: Right. Yeah, uh, probably early middle of next year at the earliest.
1: Yeah, that's what a lot of these speculators um, and market people are thinking. But in terms of like the Fed Reserve itself, they just flat out said, "Don't expect it." They don't want to give any false impressions, and despite. You know, the fact they make a statement, it's amazing how people don't believe things have been said. They still behave as if they what they want to believe is a person that makes the actual decision says no. But people behave like, well, they don't
0: mean that. (laughs) But they just said it. And so far, everything they've said, they've done. (laughs) <laughs> well that is an interesting part of observed on human behavior regarding the
1: federal reserve bank is that they say something and you know you look around analysts and business writers and all that oh they don't mean that they're going to do a cut in you know march or a cut in july or whatever they want to say and it's almost like what part of the fact they follow through on everything they've said for a year and a half you don't understand
0: right because but but i don't want it to be that way right
1: (laughs) yeah it is again they're all analysts they're very speculative but some believe that speculation is true
0: well i mean they have to develop you know a following in their in their given media i suppose in in order to be valid
1: (laughs) i i I guess you're right um i just find a very peculiar
0: observation uh, well see you and i deal in facts that's the problem jackie (laughs) we based. Well, <laughs> if, if you actually say you are got to do it and you've been doing it
1: and been doing it consistently, I would trust the honesty of your
0: statements because yeah, you I'm not a betting vote. man, but pretty, pretty good odds that they're going to continue that pattern. Right. If they yeah, hadn't, yeah. then I'd say, yes, they're not going to. <laughs> oh, yeah. If they didn't follow through on
1: past statements, then, of course, we'll be questioning about the validity of their statements, but they haven't mm-hmm. followed through. So I have little uh, uh questioning about their intention to continue or their honesty about the situation
0: right and they have they have no reason to lie
1: That's <laughs> that it doesn't behoove them oh well that's correct the federal reserve Bank does not um the individuals are don't practice in the stock market and right. they have very limited um opportunities to make money outside of the current job they basically yeah. can't yeah and they're not elected either and then I elected and uh their um their only job is that and they have a lot of restrictions on what they can do under federal ethics laws. And uh, they receive no uh, benefit or disbenefit from the from what the decisions are made in terms of that stuff. They really are um neutral ground, despite right. despite what partisan part, partisan politics thinks. They really are neutral ground and they have yeah. a mandate. You know, they have to have uh uh, maximum job creation, you know, and, um, you know, reduce inflation. That's basically their job.
0: Right. It's like working for the state lottery. If you do, you can't play it.
1: <laughs> you can't play it. Yeah, you can't play it. Your job is to make sure the integrity of the system is honest. And that's part of the lottery's job. A big part of the job, the job is to ensure the system's running smoothly and there's no shenanigans, you know, associated with the system. So, right I mean, the Federal Reserve is, is uh, you know, a creation that's not neo, but the current Federal Reserve structure is a reflection of the Great Depression. And uh, again, there was more reforms after World War II ended uh, to uh, to try to address potential future situations where politics is not a good idea on good monetary policy. And you've seen them mess around like in uh, Turkey is one of the best examples where, uh, you know, they were having inflation rates 12 percent and climbing as opposed to tightening and in- raising interest rates, Aragon forced uh, uh, their Turkish uh, federal bank to reduce rates mm. and stimulate the economy more. And it's like, you know, that 20% inflation, it just wouldn't stop. Uh, one of the things about inflation is once the train's left the barn, you got to go pull back fast on break uh hard. Uh, otherwise it would
0: just keep running away. Right. Yeah, yeah. we we'll started in the 80s, yeah.
1: Yeah, people don't sit around think about, you know, when they're making business decisions, about inflation. They're just running their business. And unfortunately, you know, high interest rates hurts businesses and hurts consumers. But, you know, you and I don't sit there and say, oh, well, I should spend less because, you know, it's, it's going to affect inflation at a big level. No, we, we don't think that way. You know, the, the, Unfortunately, unfortunately uh, depending on how you want to frame it, you know, Federal Reserve Banks around the country's job uh, is very similar to the, to the U.S. one, trying to independently of political influence. Make a decision regarding long term health of the economy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, see, we're talking about gambling. Uh, I'm sure you're aware your colleague in the Senate, John Keenan, is uh, calling for a study as to how the state's spending the revenues that it collects from uh, gambling, from sports betting to treat problem gambling.
1: Yeah, actually, I have a parallel issue as well in that when working in the Department of Public Health regarding uh, better. Data collection uh, sent to DPH as well as addressing this hotline problem where people think the hotline for uh, gambling uh, addiction assistance is actually the helpline, mm. uh, which, which causes problems for DPH. And um, you know, and uh, you know, obviously DPH is independent from uh, the gaming industry yep. uh, regarding any studies they do. Uh, I love the guys at a Mass Commission for compulsive gambling, but one of their partners is the gambling industry. Mm. Uh, need the partnership. Otherwise, they're unable to get their materials um, and other uh, assistance programs to be physically inside the casinos. And of course, they receive some monetary assistance as well. So, uh, you know, DPH is, um, you know, obviously not a industry that's tied, not not an agency that's tied directly to it. It's Mass Gaming Commission that regulates them. And, uh, you know, they're looking for more uh, data sets regarding aggregate uh Consumer data get an idea what the patterns are like regarding gambling, mm-hmm. and uh, whether or not the addiction rates are tied to it, and other uh, studies on other types of addictions are tied to gambling. So people at mass compulsive gaming has reminded me over the years, uh, you know, gambling is rarely a single addiction; it's generally a, a pairing. So, uh, someone with uh, a gambling problem is very likely to have an other type of addiction, it goes whether generally smoking or alcohol or other forms of substance abuse is not uncommon. Um, so uh, it's that, that's kind of what I've been doing on my end, um, mm-hmm. where John is looking to see, you know, the efficiency of the money being spent. He's very concerned about false advertising or misleading advertising about how the commercials are done. We've expressed those same concerns at the Mass Gaming Commission. I've been working on that as well. With my staff uh, on a parallel track he is also chair of the committee that I'm on. Uh, you know, I have some um, issues that can come before me regarding how people do, do solicitations.
0: I see. Okay. Yeah. I know that sports betting is taking off. It's, I mean, I, I think I read somewhere where the, the folks from um, the apps, the, the sports gaming apps, have sold shares worth like $60 million already. Yeah. I mean, this was a
1: long term gamble. People invested uh, stock uh, in places like DraftKings and FanDuel, and even the casinos. Um, you know, you could, you know, you boom or bust in the stock market, you take your risk at your own hands. Uh, the, the real two states for sports betting that they're waiting for, and you know, I'm watching this too, is California and Texas. Mm. I mean, it's the two biggest population centers in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if uh, both of them open up sports betting, uh, you can guarantee that uh, the casinos, uh, Fanduel, and obviously DraftKings is clearly the leader, um, would be able to just monetize uh, rapidly and the stock should go bonky. Uh, high really fast um, but uh, it's also these guys have been doing uh, grow at all cost yep. meaning that they were willing to take uh, negative revenue on their earnings uh, to try to get ahead of the other competitors as we've talked earlier, there's massive complaints we received regarding the sheer amount of advertising after sports betting was legalized was literally grow at all cost, they would throw yep. infinite money they have at them, how well, much money that can be loaned on lines of credit not caring about profitability yeah, to try to maximize customer uh signups
0: right I think they call it a loss leader in in marketing terms if you will so you know small loss at the beginning to capitalize in the future
1: yeah they started turning a profit in quarter three this year and I expect that they'll probably continue but again if another open rock is up like in Texas or California you know people are going to buy it on speculation to stock because they think it's mm-hmm. going to go and it probably will but they're also going to do the lost you know take the losses because advertising in mm-hmm. california texas is so much bigger in terms of sheer dollars they have to spend They'll take negative earnings uh, for a while they try to capture a, a market base and we talked about this also inertia right people when they sign on to one uh, platform you know unless they want to be a mobile platforms or ones are not inclined to change
0: right yeah no it's the customer loyalty is huge right exactly yep. yeah you got to get in first
1: in that industry and uh you know
0: again people have inertia they're not trying to shop for the
1: best gambling website once they're on that's one that's right that's right as long as they can get their bets in it's exactly right yeah <laughs> correct so yeah. Uh, that's why it's uh, uh you know taking those losses uh is a gamble a huge gamble for the company uh, but that's the logic
0: yeah is it um is the regulation to prevent miners from using those working have you heard jackie it's hard to tell. I mean, yeah. there's some degree of auditing
1: industry itself, and then you have to check the IP numbers, and you know, you can't VPN voice protocol network your way out of Massachusetts or into Massachusetts using these mm-hmm. devices. And then you know, there's also verification regarding IDs, and you know, how does that work? And yeah, no foolproof way to prevent minors from from playing. I mean, let's be honest about this, right? I mean, there's no foolproof way to stop anybody. But right. you know, it's like
0: buying alcohol for a minor, you know?
1: Correct. It's really about auditing. Uh, The regulatory agency doing proper audits in this case, Mm -hmm. anything else to to find out if they're in compliance or not. And that's a question we're going to have for them down the road. It's very early. I mean, sports betting has not really been a full year of Mm -hmm. implementation yet. And I think that's something to talk about the Gaming Commission probably in another year or so, you know, once they decide how they're going to do the auditing.
0: Okay. Um, Can we talk a little bit about? uh, I heard a report earlier this week about a ballot uh, initiative that uh, has enough signatures now uh, to raise the minimum wage for tipped workers $6.75 an hour to the minimum here in Massachusetts, which is $15 an hour.
1: Yeah, tip workers get a smaller minimum wage because it's a tip based industry. And uh, if they're unable to make the tips equivalent to the minimum wage per hour, the restaurant pays the minimum wage. Supposed Um, to. Supposed to uh, in most cases uh, in a good economy, especially now where you have you know hyperinflation and it's slowing down. Obviously, you know if you're even tipping at fifteen percent, the odds are pretty good you're going to make minimum wage because eating. things
0: are expensive, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's yeah, the more expensive it is, you know. And I know some folks are probably pulling back, but you know it's hard work. You know anybody's working the restaurant industry you know it's hard work oh, to yes. to do service. So. Um, and they're very dependent on those tip wages because they don't uh, minimum wages uh, significantly lower than the tips, to be honest with you. But particularly, uh, you know, now, I mean, holiday season, people yes. tend to try to be a little more generous. Um, so, uh, you know, it makes the ballot question actually forces restaurants to um, move straight to minimum wage numbers.
0: Right. And the question brings up the question is, is, would that be the end of tips at restaurants? I have a lot of mixed feelings to tipping. We've talked about this before. Um, most
1: the vast majority of the planet does not do tipping. Uh they don't. It is it the uh, the cost of labor is built into the price structure of your, of your meal. Mm. It's like rent, electricity, food, everything, and not just partial labor. So the minimum wage's tip is low. Um, and you know, that's what they get as a baseline. But you know, they don't get enough tips to, you know, obviously, you know, have to, the employer has to pay them a wage. Right. But, I mean, it, most of the planet, you know, compresses all their things, including taxes. You, know, you look at other parts of the country, uh, I mean, not country, parts of the world, uh, they don't uh, do a separate tip. Te- I'm sorry, tax. The price you see is the total price. That's okay. it. Everything's
0: yeah. packaged in. It's like a like a cruise, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Most of the world does that. We 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 don't. We we itemize uh, these things for transparency, but also becomes somewhat of a I won't say deceptive, a shock for foreigners when they come here and they realize that the price on the item in the menu is not the actual final price. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's why you see like odd marketing, like, you know, $14.99 making it seem like it's not that expensive, but you know, all of us round up anyway, which I find really odd psychology,
0: um, because all of us round up. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But for some reason, if you're, you know, you You go to buy a car and it's you know forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. You're thinking, oh, it's not fifty thousand.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird psychological thing that marketing has continued to keep up, even though the rest of us don't always round up the penny anyway, the dollar anyway. We never think of it as a bargain. Um right. a peculiar behavior, but it, it's again, it's ingrained in, in it's ingrained in business culture. Um. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of part of the quirkiness of it all, and. Um, you know i again i don't mind tipping uh but you know if i had a choice between that and people getting a daily wage guaranteed i'd rather have people getting a daily wage guaranteed right
0: right because the, the, the tip it depends too if the restaurant pools their tips you know or they just illegal. you can't yeah. do, you can't put tips you're not supposed to you're not supposed to right not, i know and you're
1: not supposed to take cut of the action of tips and you can't have head waiters take a cut actually that that's illegal
0: right
1: pay so, but it eliminates that kind of shenanigans
0: right.
1: uh, by giving them a fair wage. But, you know, some folks don't like that in the service industry because if you're in a nice restaurant, a very expensive restaurant, and someone, you know, a family puts down, you know, 800 bucks, for example, for a celebration, a big party. And yeah, you mean people could put a service charge of 15% you know, to, as the as the tip. But frankly, I mean you rather get 20%, which is not a customary, or up to 25% of people feeling generous against an $800 bill.
0: That's much better than winning a wage. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Although, like you point out, they work. It's it's hard work for sure. Yeah. It is hard work.
1: And same thing with bartenders, it's hard work too. I mean, mm-hmm. you're on your feet for a very long time, trying to keep them with orders, keep it straight. And you get some customers to get impatient.
0: Mm-hmm. Like- yep, yep, they you work. Know odd hours, holidays, weekends. So it's, 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 it's certainly, they earn it for sure. Most of them do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, as a kid that grew up in a restaurant for, for three years, uh, you know, I get it. I've, I've seen it. Um, and, uh, you know, how to work around, you know, my parents' hours mm. uh, at, at the work. My mom actually stayed at the hospital and came to, to, to uh, work the restaurant and you know, worked around, work around that schedule. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's not easy. So we we'll see how this goes. You know, generally, when it comes to increasing people's wages, minimum wage, the voters always vote yes. Right. But there's actual ramifications uh, with service workers, um, you know, that that serve you your food uh, about whether re- this really is a positive thing for them or not. It's it's not as cut as dry mm-hmm. it is. And again, there's there's an economic scale differential between you know a busy Sunday diner versus a less busy Thursday diner versus you know, being at, you know, Morton's, you know, versus being at 99. I mean,
0: it's it's all different. Yeah, yeah. I think we're already starting to see a little pushback from the restaurant industry. So we'll have to see. We'll see. But like I said, it's, it's a little complicated
1: because if you're in, if you actually have worked or working in this industry as a server, um, you may have very different experiences depending where you were and are. And then, you know, depending on how much you make in tips, this may not help you.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To so look at the fine print. This is this is a fine print type of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really a May situation. So I mean, I think it's going to be very difficult for the media to get a wide swath of people in this industry to give a proper sampling about you know different um, types of servers and working in different sectors in different geographic locations to give you a really broad and fully informed view about you know
0: how this actually
1: impacts them the most.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Stay tuned for that. Uh, so the informal session now continues? Yeah, informal
1: sessions are generally Monday and Thursdays in both okay. branches, not guaranteed, but generally the practice. If there's a holiday, you know, it'll be a Tuesday because Christmas is a Monday, New Year's is a Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, under the rules, I mean, actually under the law, state law says we have to be in every 72 hours, but you are just regarding holidays in states of emergency. Um, and, uh, again, because the Senate can do remote, they, they have less of a difficulty. As you can tell, kneeling about the remote issue, I've been doing this whole year. Um, but also, uh, the formal uh, the session for this calendar legislative year ends on the first Wednesday of the first after the first Monday um, of the year. So it'll be January. Um, I go look at my calendar. January third will be the close of the 2023 part of the legislative calendar. Uh, all your bills, all our bills. It will carry over mm-hmm. certain things. will not carry over things like the, you know, vetoes in the budget uh, and any other fiscal matters that are pending. Um, you know, kind of will be lingering. Um, you know, the econ Debt bill has been filed. Um, you know, that's going to go to committee of economic development emergency attack. It's actually the committee next next to my committee. Mm. Uh, so that stuff's already underway, and you know, you already started seeing the economic forecast articles coming out from Monday's um uh ways joint ways and means hearings regarding revenue projections and uh you know various um articles will be coming out more this month probably more in kind of the specialized business magazines and mm-hmm. similar groups you know trying to forecast out what 2024s look like and of course you know our ability to um have revenues directly tied to the public's ability to make money right
0: hmm. See what that translates down to, obviously, for Quincy, for your district, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, local aid is directly tied uh, to tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the uh, as well as Chapter 70, local aid, as well as things for like Council of Aging, library, school breakfast programs, school lunch programs. Um, they're not part of Chapter 70, that part of it, in terms of school stuff, uh, you know, any school safety grants. You know, a lot, you'd be surprised exactly how much. I really should give you a, a tally of some of the smaller uh, items that, you know, we get. I mean, the like Quincy College uh, got a, I know Quincy College is semi-owned by the city Quincy. I know it's complex. But, you know, city, you know, Quincy College, you know, got a decent-sized grant, you know, biotech, and to do uh, um, more of a, a low-tech, you know, associate degree targeted towards Biotech industry, so uh, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, actually, yeah. yeah, big piece of chunk change. So, some the unfortunately, uh, whether we realize it or not, people tend to forget the state delegation. You know, with John and Bruce and Speaker Ron, um, you know, contribute a lot of money through our votes, through earmarks, through advocacy, uh, with advocacy, um, with state government uh, to get funding out of Quincy. You know. S- s- the various uh not for profit agencies as well as city government does ask us to sign support letters uh for grant funding requests, uh whether it be you know the CAP agency or Quincy Resources or the Y, you know, any local agency, plus, you know, obviously, you know, the City of Quincy itself asks us for money, you know, plus anything we can get in earmarks and bonds. Mm-hmm. So it does end up to being the tens of millions of dollars once you mm-hmm. compile all the little pieces together. I think I think it was like 25000 dollars uh for a, uh, a traffic study plan for Norfolk Downs
0: hmm. uh, in North Quincy. You know, again, you know, we're not talking about, you know, 50 million bucks, but
1: I mean, right. this stuff
0: gets up quick. Right. And there's, there's the quality of life issues that we're talking about. These are, you know, really uh, the nuts and bolts of living in a community. Yeah. And there's also, we're,
1: you know, good sized city for Massachusetts hmm. and uh, that gives up certain advantages. I mean, you know, chapter 90 uh, road money, you know, the city, Quincy doesn't put that on their bonds. There's no matching component for that. That's just basically free money for roads and bridges, but it's on mm-hmm. the state one tap uh, for, for the city. And that's almost $2 million on average mm-hmm. per uh, every two years, so $1 million a year. And uh, the city can do what it wants with it. I mean, I don't tell them what to do with the money. Uh, some people have a mistaken belief that, you know, that state provides money, you know, that I can dictate where it goes. I, I really don't. We just provide mm-hmm. the resources. In the case of targeted grants, obviously, you know, it has to be used for certain purposes for targeted grants. Right,
0: like C Street, for instance, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is $10 million in state cobbled together money that me and John Keene have been working on for a long time. Uh, No city money is going on to C Street in terms of construction. The city would maintain C Street once the construction is over. Uh, I will be getting angry calls sometime probably in April. Um, Once construction starts, I fully anticipate angry people calling me at that stage.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's going to be very disruptive, but um, it's necessary and will be better beneficial once it's done.
1: Yeah, the traffic pattern will be much better. We have the newest tech in, in terms of traffic pattern and traffic uh, camera and lighting and all that stuff and hopefully reduce the potential accidents,
0: particularly down at the Palmer Street, uh, C Street intersection area. Yes, better for pedestrians. It's similar to what they installed in the downtown. And actually, I just took a walk earlier this morning through downtown Quincy. And, you know, it's very pedestrian friendly now, much more than it ever has been. Yeah, we don't have to try to cross a crazy rotary. Correct. <laughs> it's like I don't need my running shoes on to make it safely to the other side of the street. Yeah,
1: so for those of you like maybe 15 years old or maybe 10 to 15 years old, probably don't remember the rotary as well as some of us older folks in terms of the mad dash.
0: Yeah, that's right. But you and if you were carrying bundles, it made it even more challenging.
1: I've uh, I've uh, I've done that a few times. Uh <laughs> I've I've experienced that too. And also, you know, trying to drive around the road in particularly snowstorms.
0: Oh yeah, that's always a challenge too,
1: yeah. Yeah, trying to get out in a busy Queens Center on a slick street. So as much as I also had a lot of question marks about how this new configuration will work out, it actually worked out
0: wonderfully in the end. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Uh, we are in the holiday season, of course. Have you gone to the new skating rink yet, Quincy? <laughs> I have not. You? I have not. It was quite
1: busy. I, I did yeah. do. I did a drive by there on on Saturday when I was trying to get my errands done. Um, I, actually, we did a drive by there last night. My brother's birthday was um in uh, late November, and uh, we didn't get a chance to go to dinner till last night. And you know, it's wonderful. These are uh, great amenities for the city. Great job by the mayor and the council and, and city hall folks. To make this happen and you know hopefully this will be a continued tradition in terms of um you know family friendly fund that's free in this case so i like to put it affordable you know in a working city
0: yeah no it's neat for sure i never thought i'd see the day when there was a skating rink in quincy center that's for sure i've worked in quincy almost 40 years <laughs>
1: Well, uh, oddly enough, I do know how to skate. I have been on skates for a long time. It, it, seems, you know, it seems like a rite of passage in Quincy to at least people who stand on ice with blades. You, know, you don't have to
0: be a hockey player. You just have to be able to demonstrate mobility. Yeah. Get down there, Sailor's on Pond Tech. I want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Up on Rice Road. For those who live in and
1: aware that uh, if it, it gets to uh, a code of temperatures long enough, that's why you do the ice warnings all the time. We will do this again as we get into the window. Don't go on ice if you don't have at least, you know, 20, uh, 30, to actually, really 25 degree weather for at least seven consecutive days. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to go through the ice. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough. I mean, I, you know, kids would be out there with shovels and uh, they would uh, set up temporary hockey uh, apparatus, uh, nets and whatnot. And, you know, people will play on um, a little bit of a rigid ice. And, uh, yep. No, that that's not uncommon. Um, it's a still pond, um, so it's kind of one of those weird kind of the static ponds. Um, very small, uh, but again, we we generally don't encourage people to go on that ice. We we don't. Yeah. Just saying, if we really need seven days of twenty five degree
0: weather. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a while actually since we've had uh, you know super duper cold winter long enough to make it uh, safe. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, we haven't actually. Yeah, and you don't want a lot of snow because you have jaggedy ice,
0: right?
1: And you know, it destroys your blades. But also, you're gonna like take a header um, mm-hmm. if if it isn't quite the right smoothness. But I'm sure there's other families out there going to have, uh, you know, we'll have the outdoor rinks up. Uh, this is a hockey city. Oh yeah, um, That's my joke is a half the city can skate. It's always been my joke. That's I think true. it's
0: true. To not yeah it was it was a, as you say a rite of passage uh when i was growing up it was you know the era of the Boston big bad Boston Bruins they were they were uh known far and wide yeah i'm more of a basketball i mean 80s Celtics guy which which was as i uh, yesterday
1: was complaining to friends about basketball that you know you breathe on someone there's a foul i grew up in the era of the fact that if you tap people that's okay but you clothesline people maybe not yeah, yeah. you're old enough you know exactly what reference i'm making on that one
0: yeah yeah, you don't get away with much these days, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> um, it looks like an Olympic court. Uh, Olympic rules are different from NBA rules, but the court looks more Olympic-ish, and they find that perplexing. And, you know, they hardly call it a three-second you know, three rule inside the, uh, the rectangle mm-hmm. uh, camp out there. Um, unless you're really in there for, like, 10 seconds, they'll kick you out. But nowadays, if you're in there too long, and I don't like zone defense in professional sports because I think professional uh, – f- I'm sorry, professional f- – Basketball, not all sports, uh, but I mean, basketball, I mean, you know, you're getting paid a lot of money. You can't play the man and man and keep up. I, mean, I just don't know what to say. I mean, you know, you know I, I'm not a huge fan of zone um, in, in professional basketball. It's also too easy to crack zone, too, because if you got uh, two superstars, go crack the zone in half a minute. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, fast and just crack your
0: zone. And that's why you need to know how to play man and man You got to learn how to run. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah. So are we going to see you out in the district anytime soon, Techie? Well, uh, let's
1: see here. This weekend, um, the Organization of Chinese Americans has a youth project down at the Cathay Pacific on Drop and Say Hello. The mm-hmm. house neck is doing a lobster pot trap uh, tree lighting, which is actually very awesome. If you have a chance to see it at the fire station um, down uh, by the VFW and in um, house neck. Um, I know the General's tree lighting already happened, so if you're driving by, you can see the great job the city's done on that back of the old Ross parking lot, so to speak. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. It's very beautiful. Um, they're doing a, I'm not going to make it because I got to take them on to a doctor's appointment, but this Thursday's Pearl Harbor Day. It was a Salem, so people want to do a, a drive-by there and you know, recognize the sacrifice and horrors of uh, Pearl Harbor Day, you know, tree and. Quincy's apparently doing a clo- uh, you know joint thing. Um and uh what else is there? Otherwise, again, Quincy quiets down pretty quickly as we get close and close to
0: Christmas. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a menorah lighting on the uh, Hancock Adams Common um uh, Thursday evening. There's the crash gathering. I think it's on Sunday. So there's a few few things still to go.
1: Yeah. And um I, something that's actually kind of interesting is I don't get these notices as much like, I'm not getting notices at all things I always get notices of everybody's stuff at the office um you know the uh, the um holiday uh, craft fair slash indoor yard sales uh, has not been as popular post
0: uh, covid sure. uh, yeah so, although O'Brien towers is doing a big one this Saturday so check that out yeah if you can get in uh yeah you gotta be careful now
1: uh, I've talked to the office and my mom and my dinner last night was talking about the bomb people. That we know they got COVID. Oh, okay. The last week or so, uh, it's moving through families. Obviously, I keep repeating, you know, be, be careful and take care of yourself. We don't want to get vaccinated. Fine. But, you know, take precautions uh, that are smart um, this season. Of course, is running around as well mm-hmm. as COVID and the flu. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of stuff that's airborne that that's um, really available. And, you know, only you can prevent yourself from getting sick in many ways by, you know, taking precautions and choosing where you want to be in crowds as well as, you know, masking up, especially on airplanes. Mm. You're going to be flying, you know, be aware you're kind of in a tube of a whole bunch of people crammed together longer than you are sitting on a slow red line train. You know, <laughs> I joke. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But, uh, but you yeah. You can't open the window. <laughs> you can't open a window. You got to rely on that little vent thing above you to disperse the air around you. So, right. You know, um, again, I mean, I can't tell you what to do. I just encourage people to just take the relative precautions because it's not just about You, but also vulnerable populations in your family, whether it be mm-hmm. kids or you have immune problems or, you know, senior citizens. I mean, um, I don't have the latest stats on hospitalizations, but it's obviously not going to be as horrible as the last two years or three years. But, I mean, it, it, there is there will be a spike. You will see a spike. I just don't have that data in front of me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um... Let's give out your uh, contact information, if we good. Sure. Uh,
1: 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. We've moved to the holiday-ish type schedule, but, you know, we are staffed every day. Um, uh, as my own staffs trying to figure out their own holiday schedule. Uh, tacke dot c h a n at mahouse.gov, tacky.chan at u o v. I do see your emails, um, I we do constituent emails first. You know, people have day-to-day problems, but I do look at them all. Um, then you have uh, the state website, malegislature.gov, malegislature.gov. You can look at bills on your own in the bill histories, as well as look at past public hearings and the past uh, formal sessions and informal sessions on the website if you're inclined to do that. Uh, you don't actually have to call me a lot of build available on the web. Uh, we also have at Tacky Chan on X, such as that is. There's both state representative Tacky Chan on Facebook. And, of course, you have State rep- uh, Tacky Chan at she has a reference page. We'll probably be doing some updates soon. I keep saying that every time because there's always something else to update. And, um, you know, as we close the day off, I want to wish you a belated happy birthday. Huh. The, uh, the little bird told me that uh, you had a, decided to try lay low on your birthday. So, you know, for those who enjoy Joe's show, you know, definitely drop him a happy
0: birthday line. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I stopped having them a long time ago, though. <laughs> I am in the same boat you're in. But, uh, you know, I, I think mean, my boat's sinking a little faster than yours.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's always good to be appreciated. So, you know, thank you, Joe, for everything. And, you know, obviously wish you believe belated happy birthday.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that, Jackie. We'll uh, check in next week. We'll see you next week.